Where do you see the future of insurance? Yeah, one of the one of the trends that I've noticed the last couple of years at a Insure Tech Connect has been a concept called embedded insurance. You're tuning in to the Insure Break podcast. It's the podcast about the latest and greatest trends in insurance. I'm your host, Ash, and I invite you to join us as we interview experts and executives in insurance covering innovative practices, technology advancements, and insight into the future of insurance. This podcast is sponsored by Zelros. Zelros is an AI software solution for insurance to hyper-personalize the customer buying experience with insurance recommendations across all channels, boosting client acquisitions, cross-sell and upsell. In this episode, we chat with Brian Poppy, Chief Data Officer at the Mutual of Omaha. With over 15 years of experience in insurance, Brian draws from his experiences in various roles, including the Lincoln Financial Group and the Mutual of Omaha, to answer questions about the friction between data privacy and personalization, how AI is impacting insurance and potential future applications, and how inflation is impacting insurance businesses and consumers. Make sure to stick around until the end to hear about Brian's predictions about the future of insurance. We are joined today by Brian Poppy. He's the Chief Data Officer of the Mutual of Omaha. Brian, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, happy to be here, Ash. So to begin, can you give us some insight into your background and your journey? Um, I think you grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. Is that right? Yeah, I grew up in, in a small town in central Nebraska called Hastings, uh, about 25,000 people. Uh, if you are a fan of Kool-Aid, that is where Kool-Aid was invented, uh, Hastings, Nebraska. So fun fact for you. Um, every At the end of every summer, they've got a, a Kool-Aid festival. So you get to see the Kool-Aid man and uh, drink unlimited amounts if you buy one of the special mugs. So I'm an actuary by background. I've, I've been around insurance uh, since I graduated. I worked for Lincoln Financial Group for a period of time and then came over to Mutual of Omaha a little more than 13 years ago. And I've done everything from pricing and product development uh, on long-term care products to I worked on some group products at Lincoln. Uh, I worked in risk management uh, created and led the innovation practice for a couple of years uh, at Mutual of Omaha. Uh, led one of our PLs, uh, worked on tech modernization for a couple of years, kind of as the bridge between uh, business strategy and IT strategy. And then have been uh, chief data officer for uh, about three or four months now. So uh, you can pretty much call me an expert in the data world. Very cool. So, w- w- what are your responsibilities now? Like, yeah, so I've, my, my job is to, to make our analysts smarter. Uh, so we are in the midst of uh, moving from a on-prem analytical environment to a, a cloud-based analytical environment. So we get to keep uh, some of that data that we might have consolidated in the past because we just didn't have enough compute or storage power. We're going to keep that as granular as long as possible and make it make it real easy for our analysts to both find and uncover insights that can help drive our business forward. So in addition to that, uh, I'm working to better enable machine learning. So I've got a team of data scientists that I work with uh, pretty regularly. Uh, and help keep them pointed at, at business problems. Again, I've got to be, uh, I've, I've had the f- good fortune of being all over the place in Mutual of Omaha. So uh, I know a, f- a fair number of problems that's like, man, it feels like we should be able to solve this one. If only we had a, a way and uh, data uh, to be able to, to look at this particular problem in this particular way, uh, we think we would be able to get there. So uh, helping the data scientists, like give them the type of environment that allows them to be successful as well. And of course, doing that all while uh, making sure we maintain our customers' privacy, uh, meet all of the regulatory restrictions and, and privacy regulations and so on that uh, we absolutely need to do from a from a company standpoint. Got it. Yeah. And kind of on the topic of uh, customer privacy, I know that you want to 
personalize the insurance experience for customers, but also, you know, you, you have to make sure that you're not, you know, crossing lines. So when it comes to like customer experience or personalizing insurance experience, what does this mean to you? When I led one of the P&L centers, I led the final expense business unit. We call it uh, departing well. Uh, one of the rules that we um, try to enable, I don't think we got all the way there, but we try to enable is like, ask once, remember always. So you are, if you ask the customer a question, you should remember their answer. So instead of asking them again for address, right? So, hey, give me your address. And then later on, if they buy another product from us or we've got another form that we need them to fill out, pre-populate that address for them. You're not trying to be too creepy about the personalization, but you are trying to make it easy for the customer, right? Like that's a personalized thing of like, oh, they do know me. They remembered my address from when I gave it to them when I applied for insurance. And now I'm onto this other product and I've already got that type of thing. Like like just small little things like that. And then once you've kind of learned learned and earned their trust, then it can be a little bit more personal of, oh, by the way, you have this type of product. People in your situation also buy this other product. And whether that happens automatically via recommendation engine or whether that happens from their local uh, sales rep agent, whatever, like that is exactly the type of thing that we were trying to do from a personalization standpoint. Yeah, I, I just remember literally like a couple of weeks ago, I was adding a car to my insurance and I had to refill out like all my information again. So that would have been, that would have saved a lot of time for sure. Okay, so personalization technologies, smart recommendation tools, decision support engines, um, you know, these have seen a growth of over 200% year over year. Why do you think there's so much attention on such initiatives? So one of the things that, we and I suppose many others in the insurance industry have learned is as much as you want to give a, like an automated recommendation to a customer, because it's such a personal and monetary decision or financial decision, customers want confirmation that they're making the, the right choice. So we, we can put a recommendation out engine out there that helps customers pick uh, for example, am I getting a Medicare Advantage or Medicare Supplement? And if I'm getting a Medicare Supplement plan, which plan's the right one for me? Customers will still want to talk to a person to just sort of verify that they're on the right path. Uh, same thing in the final expense business. They're like, hey, I, I need to buy a policy to cover my funeral costs so my uh, family doesn't have to after I pass away. I still many times will want to talk to a human just to get confirmation that uh, I've I've got enough coverage and that my family is going to be taken care of and any other pieces of information that that they want to share with us, we're we're happy to take that too. The insurance companies um, have done a better job of understanding maybe the customer's psychology than we have in the past. Of why are they buying these things and how can I reaffirm that they're they're getting the right coverage for them? I think for the insurance industry has done a pretty decent job of product market fit. They just don't know maybe the psychology behind why that product fits that particular market. We're getting better at that. And that is leading to the types of personalization. And and in doing so, you start to see like a higher close rate if you're selling things or a higher persistency or stickiness of the customer once you kind of affirm that they've made the right choice. Do you think that ever in the future, there will be a time where there is no need for human interaction for those decisions or there will always be a need for human interaction for those decisions? I, I think for some 
products, there are we certainly we don't see that for everybody. It's not every every customer that that buys from us. We we actually have a human talk to them. So there are some products for sure. Uh, the insurance industry has done a pretty good job of making things somewhat complex. And as we unwind that and make things a little bit simpler, so you can do more of the DTC or the personalization or make products better understandable. I think you'll need less and less of it. But there's still things like I mean, if I'm buying an annuity, that's probably a a five or six figure financial decision. And like, uh, generally, I would want to talk to somebody about making a, that type of financial decision, uh, even if they're trying to sell me on it. And like, I know they're trying to sell me on it. I would still want to talk to somebody for, to get confirmation that we're doing the right thing. So there's probably things like that that I, I think are, are going to require uh, some sort of human interaction for a while. Like if you're making, again, six figure financial decisions in general, people don't do that completely blind. They want to talk to somebody about something like that. Even the like some of the insurance products have... Uh, tax implications on a, like at a personal financial level. And so if you're like trying to to have some sort of tax play in conjunction with the life insurance policy you just bought, like that's certainly something that you would probably want to confirm that, hey, does this work the way that I think that it does? On the other hand, right, like you've got folks like uh, in the auto and home industry, home insurance industry, like those are relatively straightforward. I know I've bought plenty of those products in the past and and not talked to a person and not felt like I needed to. So uh, as either the market gets more comfortable with those types of products and the insurance industry gets better at like simplifying the actual products themselves. Uh, I think you'll need less and less of that human interaction, but there are some things that's like, I mean, even when you, I gave the example of Medicare earlier, uh, when you, when you turn 65, there's a lot of things that happen, including potentially retirement. And so uh, as part of that, you, you've, you've generally got some questions because you've gone from either accumulating assets through your working years, uh, through having probably insurance provided by your employer to now all of a sudden it's a switch to a government sponsored program and whatever else you want to do from a supplement or advantage type product. Like it's confusing and you haven't had to go through it before. And there's a lot of material, but it's not exactly always clear on how to use that material. Yeah. And the life insurance is the big one I'm thinking of. Like if I'm getting life insurance, I want to talk to somebody for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean like that has, regardless of the, premium that you're paying, uh, which may not be a significant amount a month, like done right. I mean, that, again, that's a six figure, seven figure, depending on depending on your situation, maybe an eight figure payout, like that matters, right? You want to make sure you get that right. How have data analytics and AI played a role in this shift to the consumer experience? One of the things that we have uh, implemented at Mutual of Omaha, and again, I don't think we're unique in this, is trying to do a better job of taking what we know about the customer uh, and then feeding them things that they are interested in. So for example, somebody hits our website from either a Google search or some article that we posted, right? We, well, now we know something about maybe they clicked on a, we'll use Medicare again. Uh, like this is, this is an easy one. Maybe they clicked on a Medicare article. Well, now I know something about them. They're probably not a 35 year old working mother or something, right? Like they are probably somebody who is nearing retirement age and I can start to tailor their experience for them. So certainly that's where your data and analytics come in. Uh, from that standpoint, uh, where I'm, I'm beginning to personalize based on the little bit that I know about that person. Even if I know nothing else, I know they clicked on this link and they are interested in this particular thing. From folks that are customers, we've we've implemented a like an onboarding recommendation engine. So again, based on things that we know about them, if they've named a beneficiary on their life insurance policy, we won't bother them and ask them to name another beneficiary. Uh, if they've already set up auto pay, we won't bother them to set up auto pay. Like, so those are the types of things that I guess came out of 
some teasing of the data of like, well, why, well, one, why are we doing this? But then two, we're not really seeing the type of adoption that we want, or we are seeing the type of adoption that we want. Let's make a, a different decision from that. So AI is an interesting one. We've uh, run a couple of pilots with chatbots to varying levels of success. I would love to know if any of the viewers out there, like you can, you can contact me, you can find me on LinkedIn. If you've had success from a, a, a chatbot, if you're a carrier out there and you've you've implemented a chatbot and it's been wildly successful, I would love to know like how that worked out for you and, and the types of lift that you've seen and whatever you were trying to measure. Again, we've had both ups and downs depending on where we place that. The, the closest thing probably that we've put in place is a chatbot experience. And we try to make that apparent to our customers. I suppose on the other side, we do have, maybe it's like an interactive agent in our call center where you, you call in and they are, it's, it's asking you questions, trying to, to get you to the, the person who can help you the fastest. So if you need to pay a bill, like we try and ask you questions about that and you respond verbally to get you to the right person. That's probably another, I suppose, a good example of AI that we've got in place. One of the things that I think the insurance industry had not done well in the past is they were product focused and then created the customer experience solely based on what the customer or what the company needed to execute. So shoot, we need more information about your health. Like don't really care what that means to the customer. Like we're going to send somebody out to your house. Uh, We're going to like ask for physician statements. We're going to get full set of medical records, whatever. Um, And you need the insurance product. So tough. You got to deal with it as a customer Uh, over the last probably five or 10 years, you've seen the insurance companies switch to be, well, there's probably a better way that we can do that. We don't have to do that for every single customer. Uh, we don't have to send somebody out to their house to literally poke and prod uh, the customer to be able to make sure that we can insure them as an as a carrier. What if we were to do it this way? And in, in like seeking that better customer experience, so it's like having empathy for the customer, thinking about things from their side, and then ultimately building that experience around that of like, okay, I, I get it. You want the product. We're not going to make a bunch of friction simply because we need it. We're going to try and make that much easier for you as the customer to get to your end goal faster. We know you're, you're not waking up every morning excited to buy insurance. You're doing it because you think you need it for whatever family coverage you're to protect either yourself or your family. And we want to make that as easy as possible for you. So like the data analytics um, and AI are, are all in service from what I've seen to, to help improve that customer experience. Where do you see like maybe an application of AI that that could be like a potential solution like or that could be an application that's maybe not out there yet? Ooh, this is a this is a very good question. Maybe one of the interesting ideas would be could you maybe like better personalize, tailor, whatever you want to call it, a coverage for a customer. So an example might be uh, if I've got homeowner's insurance and for the last five years, 10 years, whatever, the, the real estate market has been been going up. If I haven't moved, I've got a particular coverage amount on, on my house. Could I have a moving coverage amount? You could do it for potentially life insurance too of like, hey, as my salary increases, could I like ratchet up life insurance without having to buy a whole new policy, right? Like I, I am earning more money. I Could I get more coverage just because like the first time I bought it, I bought it as a way to help cover a particular like situation, right? I, I haven't seen that happen yet, but that might be an interesting one to, to consider. Okay, on illegal. So how do you ensure the protection 
of consumer data privacy while serving their needs for a more personal touch? This is one that we are actively struggling with in my role as chief data officer. We have clamped down based on source systems. So you can imagine we're we're a hard year old insurance company. We've got a whole bunch of like technology systems that back uh, policies that go back what, probably 50 or 60 years. There's some of them. And we said, well, this this IT system has some sort of private information in it. So nobody gets access to it unless you are administering one policy at a time. Well, you can imagine that drives the analyst nuts. Uh, certainly that drives the data scientist nuts. So one of the things that we are doing is to say, well, some of that data is useful, but I as an analyst or I as a data scientist, I actually don't need to want to see a customer's social security number, for example. But I do want to know one, I, I need to know this person is also this other person in this other system because uh, I can I can tie that information together and now I may know something that if I want to make a recommendation to them, but I don't actually want to know as as the person who's managing the the process, I don't want to know anything about the individual. I just want to know here's how the a customer flow might happen. So the people that do need to know are the frontline associates. So customer calls in, like obviously they need to see actual individual customer level detail. Most of the other folks do not. So the thing that we've tried to do is say, if you have a individual operational need to look at this data, we are going to protect that in the way that we have. You you will have login, we'll have logs of who accessed it and what they did with that information and so on. From an analytical standpoint, we are anonymizing that data. And then we're trying to say, well, I can group that in a way that I can't uncover who that person is, but I can derive some insights from that that is going to help tailor not only that customer's experience, but other customers' experiences down the line. So it's like you think about it at a, an individual level basis, and I'm limiting very tightly who can see that. And I'm trying to anonymize the data either through uh, consolidating it in a way or tokenizing that or masking that social security number and saying like, hey, there is a social security number here. No, you can't see it because of the privacy rules that you asked the question about. But know that it's there. It'll still function. You can connect that to other social security numbers. And in doing so, this is the type of system that you're building uh, if it is maybe a recommendation engine, for example. Like that is that's the real trick, real trick that we're we're uncovering. And thankfully, like the the technology industry has greatly advanced the ability to do that in a way that protects both customer privacy while still allowing you to do the the types of personalization that customers are coming to expect from um, other industries. In the past, it might have been like, well, the best I can do is just group these so you'll never be able to match the individual together. Thankfully, now we're at a place where I can do that at scale and bring them in a way that I can't unwind down the line. Yeah, I'm just curious, from your perspective, do you feel like, uh, what's the speed of change for all these the legal side, like, do you feel like it's changing at a fast rate and you're kind of every few months you have to like, you know, make sure you're up to date with the privacy laws or how do you feel the speed, the speed of changes in, in, in that? The legal world probably changes a little slower than technology realm, but I will give the regulators credit. They've done a good job of getting on top of some of those systems or some of the, the changes that have happened along the way. I mean, the White House put out a AI bias paper uh, probably about a month ago now. It's not a law yet, but you can definitely see, hey, we expect probably more and more states 
to adopt some sort of regulation that looks like that or a federal regulation to come in that helps prevent bias in AI type models and are actively working to do that. So certainly faster than I've seen the legal and compliance industry operate in the in the past. And it's, it's addressing exactly the types of things that uh, you're asking questions about, which is how do you protect customer privacy? How do you make sure you're not adding to bias or intentionally biasing or even unintentionally biasing some of your models that you're using to either recommend or automated underwriting? How can I shortcut some of the uh, underwriting steps that I mentioned earlier? Make, make sure that I'm not uh, incidentally like uh, perpetuating some sort of racial racial bias that uh, would have been in place in the past. Like That's exactly the type of thing that the regulators have put in place and uh, what we're trying to, to navigate through as an industry. So, you know, you obviously have a lot of experience in the space. I think you've been at the Mutual of Omaha for, what, 14 years now almost. Where do you see the future of insurance. Yeah, one of the one of the trends that I've noticed the last couple of years at a Insure Tech Connect has been a concept called embedded insurance. So I think that is probably going to to take off at least a little bit. If you buy a, a ski lift ticket from many of the resorts, I don't think it's all the resorts. Many of the resorts in Colorado, you'll get presented with an offer at the end of that that purchase flow of Hey, do you want to get uh, like an accident coverage? So in, in case you're injured while you're on the mountain, uh, we'll, we'll cover the medical expenses associated with that. Uh, check this box here. Uh, that's an example of embedded insurance. We're the backing carrier for that. Uh, we work with a company called Spot who uh, does the little widget to place uh, in, that, in that checkout flow. So I think you're going to see more of that. We've already talked a little bit about personalization. You're definitely going to see more of that along the way. I think you'll also see probably simpler products for uh, some of the things that the, the industry has made complex again, in pursuit of that customer experience that we had referred to. There's still going to be the tax plays. There's still going to be the annuities that require a little bit more complexity, but I think you'll see some simpler, both life, disability, health type products come through in pursuit of reducing that friction from a customer to buy it once they realize that they need it. That's interesting. Yeah, embedded insurance. I I see that more often too now. Yeah, travel is probably the one that I think really kicked that off. So if you're in the midst of buying a trip, like at the end, almost always you'll get an offer for, hey, do you want to protect this trip? Same thing with a concert. Oh, do you want to protect the, your ticket price or whatever? So just curious, I mean, inflation, right? How is inflation affecting insurance? In general, insurance companies like higher interest rates. Like most company or like most companies, most people, whatever, they, they dislike high inflation rates. So with, with interest rates going up and the Federal Reserve raising those, and I think most insurance companies are generally happy about that. Living in a five or 6% environment is, is better for an insurance company than 3%. Because you got to remember, we collect those premiums. We then invest those premiums to ultimately pay claims. And if we are investing at a higher rate, uh, we can theoretically reduce the, the overall premium costs. Now, the challenge is if you've got inflation in conjunction with that, like everything else is going up. So all of the overheads going up. So you, you don't, you might not see that actual like premium reduction uh, pan out because of inflation going along. There is a tipping point though. Like if rates get too high, insurance companies do not like that. So there's kind of a sweet spot right now. Most folks in the insurance industry are pretty, probably pretty happy with the federal reserve increasing of rates, although probably less happy about the inflation rates at the moment. Uh, like anybody else, the cost of doing all of the other types of businesses rather than just the investing ha- has gone up for, for us and, and many others. Yeah. So, th- so then how, how do your priorities change based on that? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So in the immediate term, one of the things that we've seen as those uh, interest rates rise is an uptake in annuities because people are like, well, I can lock in. But last year I could have only got, I don't know, a lock in of 
two, three percent. And and now that lock-in is higher. Like if I am looking to to park some of this cash that I might have accumulated over the past few years into something that's gonna pay me a return for presumably the rest of my life if you're buying a lifetime annuity. We've seen those go up for sure. So making sure that that is as easy and seamless as we've got. With regard to uh, top priorities, I mean, we've got uh, real budgetary con- like pressures on, hey, are, are we focusing on the right things? So one of the discussions that we've had recently at Mutual of Omaha is, are we maybe spreading ourselves too thin and would we be more effective if we were to focus on a few big things rather than uh, maybe lots of little things? It, it certainly maybe sharpened the things that we're working on because with inflation as high as it is, that might not pan out in the way that we wanted to. Our investment team is like, hey, if you can generate some more cash, we can lock in these high rates for you, which is, again, ultimately going to help both us and our customers out for the long term. Bonds are an interesting move at the moment. I can get rates of six or seven or eight percent as a as a forecast. Whereas before, it, like that doesn't make any sense. If I'm only getting like three or four percent, I, I should probably be investing in the stock market. We always ask each speaker about the diversity, equity, and inclusion. What are your thoughts on DEI in the insurance space? And do you have a, maybe a personal story you could share? Yeah, I'll actually pull a recent uh, story. So since we and I assume most companies in, in the financial services have gone remote, I think we've seen diversity uh, increase. Uh, now, whether that's carried through to equity and inclusion, I would I would hope because you've got a more diverse group. So people who may have not the majority identity feel a little bit more comfortable because it's not uh, they're not they're not surrounded by folks who they they may not identify as like themselves. Certainly with the remote world, it's it's more difficult maybe to build community than the traditional way of, of building community. But uh, we've, we've done a decent job of better utilizing teams to have either group happy hours or uh, we try and start many of our meetings with some sort of like icebreaker, whereas before we might have just gotten straight down to business in, in the office. So the personal story that I was going to tell is um, we bring together uh, my team, the enterprise data team, uh, roughly twice a year. So it was maybe... Two or three weeks ago, we brought together the team. I was lucky enough to have dinner with uh, several members of my team. uh, And and looking around uh, the table, like I was in the minority and you you can see I'm a white male. uh, And I was in the minority racial group. Uh, I was in the minority from uh, like a gender standpoint. So uh, certainly we have increased DEI. And I mean, my personal story was just like recognizing that, right? That, That might not have happened before we had gone fully remote as a as a company. Wow, that's really cool. You're saying that that's that's actually that's interesting because like the past speakers we've talked to are saying that oh, like, industry is a little bit behind. You know, there's it's still lacking in diversity. And you're saying that when you guys had that dinner, it was there was a lot of diversity. That's wow. That's that's great. Okay, if you can go back uh, 20 years and t- talk to the younger Brian Poppy, yeah. uh, what advice would you give your younger self? I actually might have spent maybe a bit more time formalizing my tech knowledge. Uh, I have always enjoyed being around uh, computers, but didn't really focus on that in in school or even out of school. It was more of a, uh, this is a fun thing to toy around with. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to play video games or manipulate Windows 95 to do whatever it is that I, I want it to. Uh, but I might have been a bit more intentional about, about coding or thinking about maybe how the internet might change things. This podcast is sponsored by Zelros. Zelros is an AI software solution for insurance to hyper-personalize the customer buying experience. 
with insurance recommendations across all channels, boosting client acquisitions, cross-sell and upsell. Thank you for tuning in to the InsureBreak podcast. Join us next month as we interview another insurance executive to gain insight on innovative practices, technology advancements, and what the future of the industry looks like. See you next month.